Coming up on Garden Talk. The main difference is control. In organic growing, I think the control lies within the plant, where synthetic growing, the control lies within the grower. I loved it. I thought it was the greatest thing. I was like, plastic, plastic's thing of the past. Throw the plastic away. This is what it's about. Well, I switch over to organic and it's like, wait, dude, get the plastic back out of the trash. Five to 10% for watering organic living soil, whether it be every day or every two to three days, that's what you want to water. So if I'm growing in a one gallon pot at the time, I'm watering probably 400 milliliters. If it's a big, vigorous plant, those plants were as tall as me and probably as wide as my tent right here. Man, they were healthy. They were huge and they were healthy and they were green and all they got was six gallons of terrible tap water every single day. What's up everybody, if you that don't know me, my name is Chris, aka Mr. Grow It, and you're tuned into the Garden Talk Podcast. This is episode number 94. In this episode, I interview Lockbox. He grows both indoors as well as outdoors, and recently made the switch from growing with salt-based fertilizers, often referred to as synthetic, to using organic inputs. And that's what we're going to get into in today's episode. He talks all about how he used to grow with synthetic nutrients, and how he now does it fully organic. If you gain value from these podcast episodes, please click the like button and also subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. That way you can be notified when new episodes are released. If you'd like to support even more, visit patreon.com slash mrgrowit. There are various rewards set up for those that support and you can pledge any amount that you'd like. 100% of the money pledged through Patreon goes right back into the podcast. It helps keep this podcast going. So thank you all so much for your support there. Before we get into it, I want to acknowledge that one of my goals for this podcast is to bring free gardening information of all plants to the general public. That being said, I'd like to thank the sponsors of today's episode who helped make that goal possible. Thanks to AC Infinity for sponsoring this episode. Their Grow 10 kits are incredible. You get their Ion Board LED grow light, their Grow Tent, which is currently the thickest on the market, their ventilation system, clip-on fan, and their Controller 69 to control it all. You also get their fabric pots, trellis net, plant ties, and trimmers. Definitely a good price for all that you get in the kit. I'll have a link in the description section below so you can learn more about these Grow Tank kits and the discount code MrGrowIt15 works on both Amazon and their website, acinfinity.com. Spider Farmer is sponsoring this episode. Coupon code MrGrowIt5 will get you a discount on their products. Check out their new SFG bar style series of grow lights. They have the SFG 300W, a 4 bar fixture for a 2x2 or 3x3 grow space. The SFG 860W, a 8 bar fixture for a 4x4 or 5x5 grow space. And the SFG 1000W, a 10 bar fixture which is also for a 4x4 or 5x5 grow space. Go to their website at spider-farmer.com or search for them on Amazon. And don't forget to use the discount code MrGrowIt5 for a discount on their products. And we're back. Welcome to the Garden Talk Podcast. Today I am joined with Lockbox. How are you doing today? Good, man. Good. How are you doing? Doing great. Today we're going to talk all about going from synthetic to organic. You've done it. And there are tons of people out there that are making the switch as well for a variety of reasons, right? In this episode, we're going to get into your experience making that switch. We'll talk about your growth setup, 
environment conditions, feedings, and I even want to get into problems that you've come across and what you've done to mitigate those problems. But first, can we do an introduction? Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into gardening? Yeah, man, for sure. Um, I go by a lockbox. My name is actually Travis, but uh, I've always had lockbox. It's kind of a play on hotbox. I won't get too much into that, but I'm sure most of the audience will kind of know what that is. But uh, I actually didn't get into gardening at all until I was around 19. Um, I'm 25 now, so it's still six years later till I got serious about it. But uh, the very first intro to gardening I ever had was probably like the first or second grade elementary school science. Um, we were uh, germinating lima beans, actually, and we used the paper towel method, which I think is really cool, actually, that uh, my teacher, my science teacher taught me that like a long time ago. Yeah, uh, so my science teacher, she uh, she taught us about the paper towel method. You know, you put your, your beans, it's funny, these are actually lima beans, actual beans, people call them medicinal plants beans i do for sure but uh had the beans in the paper towels soaked them with water um put that paper towel inside of a uh, paper plate you know paper plate on top of it gave it plenty of darkness put it in the cabinet for a few days whatever a few days go by and behold you have a root sticking out of there and uh as a little kid it didn't really fascinate me much at all i was like oh science cool recess you know but uh fast forward all these years and i'm getting into it now and it's just the difference to it now. I see a root stick through on any type of seed, and it blows my mind, man. Uh, I don't actually only grow medicinal plants. I'm getting into sage and other types of herbs, and just uh, I don't want to get too much into that right now, but just getting into gardening as medicinal plants, it started as just growing medicinal plants for one reason, but it's turning into a whole nother passion, and just, man, I love gardening at this point. I love plants. I love looking at trees. I love looking at flowers and just seeing things grow and the structure of different plants and, like, a year ago, two years ago, three years ago, I'd have been like, who is this guy, man, talking about plants? But that's just kind of how it's happened for me. Um, and, man, I, was, uh, I can't wait for the future. I don't plan to ever stop gardening. Um, but, yeah, dude, that's kind of how it happened for me. That was the same way as you, you know, started out with just growing medicinal varieties and then started growing my own food, you know. So I never thought 10 years ago, 15 years ago, that I would be growing lettuce, kale, bok choy, herbs, all sorts of stuff. It sparks your interest to learn even more. So that's pretty cool that you were the same way as me on that avenue. So synthetic versus organic. What is the difference between synthetic and organic? Okay, uh, man, that's a great question. And I like my answer for that. Um, a lot of people may not like my answer for that. But to me, the main difference is control. Um, in organic growing, I think the control lies within the plant where synthetic growing, the control lies within the grower. And what I mean by that, um, a lot of people reference organic as like a battery. You build a soil battery, you charge it up for the plant, the plant takes what it wants, and that's great. I mean, I love that. To me, I like Chinese food. I love buffets. It makes it easier for me to think. It's like a Chinese buffet. I'm stocking this buffet with food, and the plant comes in and it sits down, and it wants some food. So what does that plant do? It hollers at the waiter, hey, waiter, excuse me, um, I'd like some orange chicken, I think. And if you bring it to me, I'll give you a $2 tip. How does that sound? And the waiter is like, dude, that's great. That's what I'm here for. It's my job. I like it. I got you. And it brings that plant, the orange chicken. It eats it. And in return, it gives them the $2 tip. And that is like the root giving the extra date to the microbe, who is in return bringing the orange chicken or the nutrient back to the plant. Meanwhile, I am sitting on my couch watching television, as in the plant is in control. So if I'm doing a synthetic system, 
that's not happening. I'm walking to my tent every day. I'm looking at the plant. I'm looking at my bottles of nutrients, and I'm thinking, okay, this is what you're going to eat. I'm mixing it at this strength, quarter, half, three-eighths, whatever. You're going to eat it, and you kind of have no choice. And I hope you do well. And the plant's just kind of taking it and responding however it does. And it can't choose, and it can't say, I want this, I want that. It can't choose the ratios like it does in organic. It's just kind of being force-fed, so to say. Waterboarded, I've kind of come to look at it. May or may not be a good term for it, but uh, yeah, man, uh, the main difference to me is control. That's an interesting way to put it. Let's start with talking about you using synthetics first, all about synthetics, You know your experience with it. Then we'll switch over to the organic side of things. So starting with the synthetics, when you used them, what was your grow setup? Talk to us about like, you know, were you in a grow tent? What was your lighting, container size? Were you in soil or cocoa? So on and so forth. Okay. Yeah, man. Um, when I was running the synthetics, I was growing in a two by four tent, a five foot high. The uh, light I had run in the tent, it was a HLG 260 V2 R spec, uh, I think 240 watt dimmable full spectrum. Um, I had a four inch ventilation inline fan kit, uh, set on the inside, blowing the air out, um, negative pressure. Um, the light, I never actually got it above 70% in the tent. And when it was at 70%, that was maybe for like a nine day maximum. And, uh, I referenced that because that was one of my problems. Like we'll get into, I was never actually able to push the plants, whether it be to my maybe lack of experience and knowing how to push the plants properly, but I found the higher I turned the light, I just ran into more problems, deficiencies, or just burns, toxicities. Um, so yeah, I always kept that light around 70%. I keep uh, I kept two fans in that tent. I say I keep, I'm still currently running the exact same setup. I'm looking at it right now across the room. But I have two <laughs> fans blowing in there. Um, one is on the ceiling blowing above the light. I found that that HLG light puts off a lot of heat actually compared to a spider former I've got behind me. But that's beside the point. But um it's blowing the heat around in there. Another is on the floor of the tent, blowing the air around there on the canopy. And um, yeah, um, that's as far as I can think for setup wise. I don't know if I missed anything in there. I'm trying to describe it by looking at it. Environment conditions that you usually aim for, for like temperature and humidity. Right. Um, I actually, it's kind of different than a lot of people. A lot of people put a lot of effort and money into controlling that. And I wish I could one day. I hope to. It's just not really in the cards for me right now, but both of my tents are in my living room. Um, so it's always comfortable for my family. It's always roughly 69, 70 degrees in here, um, Fahrenheit in the living room. And the humidity in the living room is always between maybe 40 and 70. In the tents without uh, controlling or doing anything for it except for the ventilation and the fans, the uh, temperature maximum on a hot summer day is about 86 degrees Fahrenheit. And the minimum would be about maybe 69 degrees, lights off. Uh, it's getting colder wintertime. It was like 26 degrees outside a few weeks ago. I don't know how cold it got in one of the tents, but the plants, they didn't look too good. They were sad, so I'm guessing it was pretty cold. I only have actually one uh, thermostat between my two tents. Uh, super budget growing over here. So I imagine CO2 is something that you don't supplement as well? Well, yes, but no. not. Um, I have a propane heater right to my left over here and uh it might have been bruce bugby or dr bugby i think he was talking about it or maybe jeff lowenfels one of the two but they said just the pilot light from a heater like that just boosts the ambient co2 levels in a room considerably 
So I like to think without doing anything, I'm kind of supplementing, but actually, no, no, I'm not. Yeah. And one thing I like to tell people is I live in the house that I grow in and me exhaling, like we exhale CO2. I have two, uh, three cats actually that exhale CO2. Believe it or not, that actually contributes to the CO2 level, especially when for, for me, I'm taking the air from the grow 10, I'm exhausting that air out. New air is passively coming in from my house. So that CO2 that I'm producing is uh, going into my grow tent and that is sufficient. It's, uh, it's actually funny to me that you say that you have the three cats and yourself. Um, I have my wife and my son who's a year old and man, I love him to death, but that little dude likes to scream and he likes to do it all the time. So I'm imagining that in itself is probably ample CO2 supplementation right there <laughs> from my son. So shout out to the baby grower. Thanks for helping me on that one right there. That's funny. So nutrient lineup, what were you using for your synthetic lineup and how did you go about the feedings? Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, for veg, I was using Botanicare brand. Um, it was a CNS 17 grow, I think was the micros and a kind base was the macros or maybe backwards on that right there. But um, I actually hardly even use these. I bought these bottles and I could probably sell them to someone and tell them they're full. And outside of the caps being unsealed, they wouldn't know the difference. Because um, even when I was growing synthetic, I've always grown in at least happy frog or ocean forest soil. And just the nutrients that's in the soil already was enough to get me through vegetation. But I did start introducing veg newts, usually the last week of veg. Um, and I would always start at quarter strength. You know, if it called for four milliliters a gallon, I'm doing one milliliter a gallon. And, you know, busting it down if I'm only making a liter, quarter milliliter which actually gets really finicky and annoying on a milliliter dropper with some of these strange numbers. But um, I would start there and just kind of watch the plant and read the plant to tell me if it needed more or less. And like I said, in the veg, only feeding late into veg. And I would flip the lights and uh, I would actually keep feeding the veg newts their stretch. Um, I've read a lot of people do that. I've done it. I like it just for the nitrogen. I'm liking to think that the veg is kind of like, or the stretch, I'm sorry is like an accelerated veg. I know that's probably incorrect because the hormones with the flowering, but I'm seeing a lot of stem growth, so I'm feeding it nitrogen, veg newts. And uh, it's about week two and a half, maybe three, I'll switch it up, 12-12, you know, flower. I'll actually flip over to my blue newts, which um, they are advanced nutrients. Uh, Sensi Bloom, A and B, totally different brand. Um, I was actually worried about that when I bought my veg newts. I had my bloom newts first from my previous run. And I went to buy Veginutes and I wanted to buy Sensi Grow, A and B, same company, same brand, keep it all the same, you know, avoid any kind of interactions. Uh, you hear all kind of horror stories online. Oh, I put two different brands in my plant and now my plant's falling apart. I don't know why. Chemical interactions. And I'm sure it's true. And well, I just wanted to avoid that, but I couldn't. So I got Botanicare, Advanced Nutrients. I never saw any issues with that. Um, or maybe I did and I just couldn't pinpoint that issue to that. But um, as far as I knew, I couldn't tell. But I would switch that over. And again, I'm going back to quarter strength on the flower notes. Um, I found that I actually was able to use a lot more flower nutrients than veg, I guess, because they're eating a lot more, feeding a lot more between maybe weeks three and six, three through six of flower. Uh, I've come to know as the heaviest feeding weeks. But I never actually fed a plant over three-quarter strength nutrients, I don't think. Um, I always started to experience problems at that point you know, tips burning or just toxicities or just strange issues, you know, funky looking leaves, just imagine pH issues, lockout, just 
without actually looking inside of that soil, I feel like I was creating a mess at that point. So that's kind of a scrambled mess on how I did my feedings. Hope that works. Now, did you monitor the pH at all? A lot of people do that when they're growing with the synthetic nutrients. Were you doing any sort of monitoring the pH? Uh, yes, I'm proud to say that is the one thing I actually have been able to monitor. Um, I got myself a $45, I think, like Hydromaster pH pan. I loved it, man. It was awesome. Um, I felt like a chemist, like a scientist. I thought that was so cool. I was finally a grower getting in the grow, you know. My thoughts have changed on that since, but uh, I was always aiming to get between pH 6.0 and 7.0. Um, if it was inside of those numbers, I was happy with it, you know, 6.1, 6.9. I don't really care. Like I said, I'm growing in the happy frog soil, uh, ocean forest. So even if it being synthetic, I'm imagining that soil had enough uh, pH buffering capabilities to correct that at that point. So between six and seven, I was happy. Um, there was a few times where I tried to pinpoint it 6.5, you know, 6.5. It's all the nutrients perfect in the spectrum. You eat them all. But dude, every time I tried to do that, I'd be 6.4, pH up, 6.7, pH down, up, down. I'll oh, throw it away. It's a mess, you know. And I just get paranoid. I'm fixing to feed my plant a chemical concoction. And so maybe add two drops to some distilled water, get it right between six and seven. Good to go. Yeah, measuring the pH and balancing it, uh, it's time consuming. <laughs> you know, I mean, mixing up the nutrients and then balancing the pH. And then when you water in that mixture, a lot of people will check the runoff or they'll do some sort of slurry test to make sure that they're in that range that they want to be in six to seven ph is uh, the range that a lot of people go after and a lot of people would say that you can go down at 5.5 5.5 to 7 then there's some people that are saying you can even go lower than that or higher than that so there's certainly an optimal range and then a tolerance range so the plant may still grow but it just might not be optimal now how about ppm or ec that's another measurement that a lot of people track when they're growing with synthetic nutrients did you have a TDS tester? Were you measuring PPM or EC at all or no? Uh, no, I sure wasn't. Uh, I would have liked to again, but just going back to wife and son and first timer at the time, just budget, I uh, wasn't able to get that. So like I said, I was eyeballing everything. Um, I tried to learn to read the plant versus read the PPM. Um, so again, I was looking for signs of stress, you know, just for if I added too much uh, tips burning or just dark waxy just nitrogen toxicity or just leaf curling or just dry crusty soil or just anything nasty seeming or on the flip side of that you know if i was feeding too light i'm looking for yellowing or just man the plants lost its vigor it don't look happy the leaves aren't praying and they're kind of sagging at this point and just so uh, long story short no i didn't monitor ppm with a number and a pen but i tried to but uh, I did water distilled, actually, um, so I knew I was starting at zero no matter what. That was one thing I kind of did. I stayed away from tap water at this point in time because I have no idea what's in it PPM-wise. or just uh, I live out in the country out here, so my water, man, sometimes it's like brown when it comes out. So there really is no telling. I don't know if it's 180 or, shoot, it could be 600 PPM where I live. I, I don't know if that's a reasonable number. But So distilled, starting at zero, and then just watching the plant instead of actually checking PPM. And same, same for AC. Got it. Yeah, I'm in a similar situation where my tap water is just so bad. I mean, it comes in at like 485 ppm. And so I have to use RO or some sort of filtered water. I elected to get an RO system, you know, make the investment on that. 
190 bucks or 200 bucks, something like that. And um, it's beneficial for me. Now, a lot of people will complain that you're wasting water with that, but I have my drain line hooked up to a bucket and I'm using it on my outdoor plant, so I'm not wasting it. But yeah, water can certainly be one of those things where if you don't have a good water source, your plants won't be happy. Most definitely. So what problems did you come across when growing with synthetic nutrients? Well, for problems, mainly um, inducing toxicity. The first time I ever used the synthetic nutrients, I read the bottle. I think it called for 16 milliliters a gallon. Um, I read online, oh, don't do that. Start half. And I thought, well, shoot, man, I'll try. Maybe I'll get lucky with this whole strength. And well, uh, automatically I could tell something was wrong. I feel like I'm just beating a dead horse. I keep saying burnt leaf tips, but I just noticed they start getting red and just start just growing and just um, the clawing too. Um, definitely experienced a lot of leaf issues. Um, I never did really check the soil uh, PPM or I'm sorry, pH runoff. So I don't really know what was going on in that spectrum, but I imagine it was totally out of whack. I wasn't pHing at this point in time when I was using this full strength. I was relying on advanced nutrients, uh, pH perfect um, little slogan to, oh, my pH is going to be perfect. I don't need to check it. So I probably had PPM issues, pH issues. I mean, my rise of fear was probably like a crazy mess. I mean, my plants were just unhappy to the point where I can't even tell you what problems they were at some points in my synthetic career. <laughs> you laugh like you might know what I'm talking about. What? I mean, I've come across a wide variety of problems when growing with synthetics. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's so common and it's so easy to make mistakes when growing with synthetics, in my opinion. But yeah, it can be, uh, you can definitely, if you're doing it right, you can certainly come across with some really healthy plants. A lot of people these days still grow with synthetics and have a lot of good results with it and don't come across any problems. Right. Well, uh, don't get me wrong there. Uh, I had a lot of issues with my synthetics, but I also did have a lot of great results too. Um, not to like toot my own horn or anything, but I don't want to make it sound like it was just all negative. Uh, I actually loved the synthetics. I loved the results I had. The the buds I got were just, man, the frostiest buds I've seen in a while. Uh, versus going to medicinal stores around here, I was just blown away. At, like, I can grow this and it beats the quality of this at this crazy process. And like, so it was really good. Uh, my only main reason from straying away from it, you kind of mentioned it earlier, was you just said the time on the mix and the pH. That just kind of opens the door on my reasons for switching. But again, like you said, you can get great results, and I have. But I don't want to knock synthetics by any means. I'm not against it. I'm not like organic all the way. I like organic. I like synthetic. I like them both. They both have equal places, and um, I'm all for either one. It's just I switch just for ease, you know, but... Yeah, I definitely had some great results with synthetics. I was going to ask why you switched. Was it just the time factor, ease, or was there other reasons to making the switch from synthetic to organic as well? Uh, pretty much. I'd say it was like 95% time factor and ease because uh, I work in a factory. Um, right now, we've actually cut hours back to five, six days a week. But at the time I was growing synthetics, we were doing seven days a week, uh, 12 hours a day, 3 a.m. to 3 p.m. I live an hour away from my job, so I was home like, eight, nine hours a day, seven days a week. And then I was in my tent, you know, mixing up the nutrients, checking the PPM, and my son's in the background crying. I'm almost getting mad at me. And it's just, it was all this, I didn't have the time for it, but I wanted to keep on growing. And that wasn't an issue, but the time spent just having to do all these things was. So I started reading about uh, organics and just amending and top dressing and just dry amendments and don't pH, just water, walk in, walk away. And 
So that was a huge thing for me. Um, I'm very fascinated though by soil food webs, soil science. Um, I've always been very fascinated by science and math. The way I talk, you probably wouldn't guess it, but I'd like to uh, consider myself an intelligent person. But um, I'm very fascinated by microbes and just the, fo- the soil food web, who eats who, and just the way that everything interacts down there and just the way the plants will secrete acids and sugars and extra dates and just wrangle up these microbes and just how these microbes will go out and work with the nutrients and bring them to the plant and that just they'll change their ph and then just man it all just fascinates me so much how we just it's like an own little world down there man just everything and just i don't want to get down in it like i said earlier plants are just watching them grow above the surface just the different leaf structure and also just below the surface man just every day i'm listening to podcasts to and from work you i'm listening to jeff lowenfels just all these different people talking about the soil food web and just, man, it's so fascinating to me. It's, I have so much knowledge, but it's all just, I don't have a lot of knowledge. Don't get me wrong. I said that wrong. I listen to all this knowledge and it's just such a mess inside of my head. Like it just comes out so fast and sputters, but man, it's just so fascinating to me. So that was a big reason also. It's fascinating to me as well. And I think that's a good segue into talking about the organic side of things when you made that switch and your experience and what you've done on the organic side of things. So let me ask you first, did your growth setup change at all going to organic or using the same grow tent lighting container size? Did that change? Um, Everything's for the most part the same. Uh, One biggest thing that changed in my opinion was the lighting. The light itself didn't change in one tank. It's still the same HLG 260 V2, blah, blah, blah. But um, I was actually able to increase the power. Like I said, I was never able to get 70% with synthetics. Um, I didn't change the height of the light. I didn't change how the plants, I didn't change anything I did other than just what I was feeding the plants. And I never had to reduce the light. I never saw leaves turning upside down. I never saw bleaching tips. I never saw heat or light stress. And it's just, it seemed like I was able to put more into the plants um, with a little bit more light. So that was one way the setup changed. Um, I got another tent behind me since the time I switched to organics, and that's a Spider Former Light SF2000. I believe it's 200 watts, not 240, like the HLG. I think it has IR, though. Um, I think the HLG just has far red. This has far red and IR, I think. Don't get me wrong. So that's a slight change. Um one one fan in this tent outside of two, but nothing major. Just small things, just here and there. Oh, uh, sorry, uh, my pots. That's a big thing. Forgot that. I was growing a fabric pots, running synthetics, uh, five gal fabric. I loved it. I thought it was the greatest thing. I was like, plastic, plastics thing of the past. Throw the plastic away. This is what it's about. Well, I switch over to organic, and it's like, wait, dude, get the plastic back out of the trash. My my soil is drying out. What's going on now? So I'm running uh, plastic pots now. Uh, same five gallon. I, I would like to go much larger. The five gallon is, I feel like it's hands around the throat of my organic grow. Just, I actually, I did a run in one gallon. I didn't want to get into that. I tried organics in one gallon. It was uh, terrible. Two plants did really good. One plant, man, it was my favorite plant of the three too, but it was the whole grow. Stems were so purple. The leaves just yellow and crumbly and brown that she was crying for nutrients and so one gal uh it's out of the question for me now but a uh, five gal plastic for my organic pots interesting yeah you hear a lot of people mention that the larger the pot the better when it comes to organic and uh so i actually myself i just went from 
Well, I, I started out doing organics with the three gallons, the five gallons, and then when I moved to the seven gallons, it was even easier. Now I just got 10 gallons. So I'm slowly working my way up. And I know some people are like 15 gallons at the minimum, or some people might say 20 gallons at the minimum, but I'm working my way up. I just got some uh, grassroots fabric pots, the ones with the their fabric, but they have the liner on them. So they don't dry out from the sides like normal fabric pots do. So uh, pretty cool. I'm, I'm excited to start using those. But yeah, I hope to see uh, see some better growth with the 10 gallons and make things a little bit easier when it comes to adding the inputs in there. And, and watering is a big thing, kind of being in a larger pot, less water. I'm, I'm seeing, of course, it depends. There's so many variables, right? Like the size of the plant depends on it, right? So obviously you're going to give less water to a smaller plant in veg versus a larger plant in flower, for example. So it's really hard to to speak about water and say that I water less, but uh, I kind of water less <laughs> with the, with these larger containers. So that, that's a benefit in my opinion. Hey, uh, I'm actually really glad you brought that up though, because I totally forgot somehow over this summer, I did my first one and only ever outdoor grow. Um, it started, it was going to be water only. And I did these in 20 gallon pots. They were fabric actually. Um, I bought 20 gallon fabric pots for whatever reason. But I actually went organic on this grow. It was happy frog, organic, fruit and flower, acid-loving plants, fertilizer. But, uh, man, it was awesome. I watered. Uh, at first, it was like every three days. But then it got hot of summer. I was having to water six gallons a day every single day. And even at that point, the plants were still looking dead every day at the end of work. But, um, yeah, I did an organic run in the 20-gallon pots. And that was probably the easiest run I've ever done because those plants were as tall as me. And probably as wide as my tent right here, or I might be exaggerating, I probably am. They're on my Instagram if anyone wants to check them out. But man, they were healthy. They were huge and they were healthy and they were green. And all they got was six gallons of terrible tap water every single day. But that's all they needed with that organic and that 20 gallon. They did awesome. And I'm so glad you helped me remember that. Thank you. Yeah, I think generally speaking for those folks that are going from synthetic to organic, you hear a majority of people say to to start in larger containers. I think that that's one of the beginner 101 from switching from synthetic to organic. Now, sir, you can do organics in three gallons. You can do them in two gallons or one gallons. I've done them in, but it's just, it's a little bit more difficult in my opinion that the plant will, um, plant will is more prone to show deficiencies because it, it dries out, you know, when you have a large plant, a small pot it dries out quicker. And with organics, you need that medium to be moist at all times. So the organic matter will break down you know, that process is happening. When things dry out, microbes go dormant, and then that process stops and the plant will start to get deficiencies. So being in a larger pot um, has, has been beneficial. Now, was there anything different with your environment conditions when you went to organic, you know, temperature, humidity, CO2, or is it all the same as synthetic? Um, it's all the same. Uh, the only difference is the synthetics, they were kind of in the summer, the hotter months of the year. My, all my organic experience is kind of in the winter and the colder months of the year. But I mean, like I said, both my tents are in the living room. So the temperature really doesn't affect that too much. The humidity, however, though, I think it's been getting kind of drier slowly. I think the cold brings dry. Um, I know my knuckles are dang sure been starting to crack here lately. But um, so that's kind of different. But outside of that, everything is the same. Just kind of what Mother Nature throws at me is what, kind of what goes on my tent. Say a outdoor version of my indoor growing. Got it. Now, what about organic fertilizer and amendments? What are you using, and how do you go about adding them into the system? 
right? Uh, I had mentioned earlier that happy frog, fruit and flower, acid loving plants. Uh, I brought one bag of that. It was cool, but uh, I haven't really touched it since. What I'm using now is the Gaia Green uh, Organic Dry Amendments. Man, I love this stuff. Um, you get me talking about it. I'd feel like a promotion guy for them. Shoot, I'd ask them for it, and they'd probably say no. So I'll take that. But, man, Gaia Green is awesome. I use the all-purpose uh, 444. I use their uh, Power Bloom 284 and their uh, Glacial Rock Dust. Uh, that's a crazy, awesome trio, in my opinion. You can get it online. Um, that's what I did. A lot of people were talking about it, and, uh, man, it's awesome. Um, how I go about using it, um, I start all my plants in solo cups. And a happy frog or ocean forest. Uh, I don't add anything at this point, just straight soil at this point. Um, I'll let them go about two weeks probably till the leaves are all going outside the cup pretty well. Just, I know the roots can hold that soil well, and I'll transplant them, uh, transplant them into one gallons. And uh, when I do that, I'll mix the soil um, with three tablespoons of all-purpose uh, 444 and one tablespoon of rock dust. Um, I'll let them grow out in that for a few weeks. Um, Depending on how long I'm going to veg them in that pot, if I'm planning to transplant them in two weeks, I'll go ahead and transplant them another two weeks from that point into their five gallons, and I'll mix that with three tablespoons per gallon of a two-to-one ratio of a power bloom to all-purpose. So for a five gallon, that'd be like 10 tablespoons power bloom to a five tablespoons all-purpose. And that's to account for, a, I'm fixing to flip the lights to flower. Um, I always like to flip my lights to flower about a week after I transplant, give the roots some strength or space to grow in time. But um, that nutrient ratio, I think, gives them kind of the all-purpose to get through that stretch and the veg and then just that power bloom to really take off into flowering. And uh, Or if I'm going to veg for four weeks, I'll top dress them maybe after two weeks and then do the same thing, transplant after four. Uh, same thing, getting the five gal and then just – Top dress them every two to four weeks, depending on how that plant's doing, uh, what I'm seeing. Sometimes I'll top dress just rock dust or maybe power bloom. Um, I'm really not do this, that at a specific time or a soil scientist or maybe I need to be. I don't really know what I'm doing for the most part. I'm just kind of adding stuff when I see it. But I know that's not how you do organics when you're seeing something. I know you're like eight or nine days behind from the actual problem. So I try to not actually see problems. I try to always stay above that. That's why I follow that two to four week regimen I found um, that keeps them healthy for the most part. I do occasionally see uh, calcium issues or magnesium issues, you know, the rust or the red and the browning. Um, for that, I'm actually using uh, Epsom salt, uh, just Dr. Teal's, got it from Walmart, pure Epsom salt, none of that other crazy stuff, cocoa butter or nothing. But uh, that's for the magnesium, maybe one to two tablespoons every week or two. Um, Calcium, I would like to get some gypsum. I haven't actually got around to it, but that's what everyone always talks about for that. But um, that's about how I go for my feedings, um, top dressing or transplanting every two to four weeks or so. That's pretty straightforward. So with organics, you're not actually adding in that to water like you are with synthetics, right? So it's just your top dressing and then you're adding water on top of that top dressing. Now, how do you do waterings? How do you go about doing your waterings? I should ask you this on the synthetic side of things. How were you doing it when you were using synthetic nutrients versus organic? Okay, uh, yeah, that's a great question actually, because that's a totally different philosophy and practice in my opinion. When I was doing synthetics, I was following the uh, forsaken dryback method. You know, you water the pot, you lift it, it's so heavy. You wait till it's 40, 30, 20% of that weight, you know, bone dry. Um, then you add water. I've actually gone so far as letting the plant go till it looks like it was dead and it's not coming back. 
and then I gave it water and just I don't plan on ever doing that again but watching that plant come back and bounce back in an hour was awesome um that kind of helped me learn to not overwater when I was learning to do synthetics just to see how much better underwatering would be in that regard than overwatering but um yeah synthetics I was watering letting it dry back completely adding more water um switching to organics totally different like you mentioned earlier you don't want that dryness you don't want microbe dormancy you don't want the land to go dry you don't want to experience a drought you know you don't want that you want there to be life and moisture so for that i'm watering a lot more frequent than i would have ever been in synthetics um you know if synthetic me saw organic me watering i'd be like dude over watering what are you doing man you're about to cause so many issues for yourself because there'll be times i'm watering every single day and synthetics that was like i'd slap myself like what are you doing dude but um actually build a soil man i love build a soil um i one of his youtube videos i learned from him uh he said five to ten percent for watering organic living soil whether it be every day or every two to three days that's what you want to water for you know that and um so if i'm growing in a one gallon pot at the time i'm watering probably 400 milliliters if it's a big vigorous plant and depending on how long it's in that pot how big it is that might be every single day like you said you want to stop that dry back or or i'm sorry just stop it from going dry but or watering organic i'm probably watering every day whether it's a little bit or a lot just depending on that plant the soil where i think it's at but always trying to keep it moist i don't want any uh, drought yeah that makes sense yeah there is a, a big difference and i used to do the same uh well i still do the same dry back method there's actually some benefits to doing the dry backs specifically with synthetics you can certainly get away with it so I still do that method to this date and uh, the watering, it would be water till runoff, right? So you'll slowly water in and then it will go through the medium. Then you get that runoff and a lot of people will do testing of that, the pH, PPM and so on and so forth. But with organics, it's often said you shouldn't have that runoff because in that runoff is usable nutrients for the plant. So uh, if you do get any type of runoff, a lot of people, what they'll do is they'll keep it in that plant saucer and they'll let it soak upwards. So, um, yeah, I do that same way. And then the 5% rule with organics, I think is pretty cool that you mentioned that. Uh, that's one thing that I heard from him as well. And I practice. Yeah. I mean, having those small amounts and watering more frequently helps to ensure that you don't overwater. And if you're seeing that you're doing a 5% of water, according to your container size, and the plant needs more water, well, then 24 hours later, next time you check in on your plants, for example, you can give them another 5%. So moving on to PPM or EC, I think you said you didn't, you don't have a meter. You didn't adjust, you didn't monitor it with synthetics. Same thing with organics. So you just completely kind of hands off when it comes to EC or PPM. Right. Yeah. Same thing. Just hands off approach, just kind of putting the water in, just hoping for the best, not knowing what's inside of it, but yeah, no meter. So um, one thing I do know though, um, I've heard a lot of people talking about, you mentioned earlier, checking the PPM or the pH of runoff. I've read about a lot of people checking the PPM of organic runoff, which I know is a very controversial topic because um, I know when there is runoff in organics, there's all kinds of stuff in that water, all kinds of organic material that'll play a part of that PPM. That's not actually uh, nutrition or nutritional matter inside of that water content. So I don't, but um, just for people out there, if that's something you're hearing about online, just some bad information. Me personally, I don't think you really need to worry about organic PPM unless you're actually watering into the plant. Man, I mean, there's still some some play to look there, but uh, 
No, I don't actually check into that at all. I think a vast majority of the people just ignore it. I also ignore it. I just uh, just top dress and water in, so and the plants turn out to be fine. All right, the beauty of organic. <laughs> How about cover crops? Do you use any of those? Uh, no, not at this point in time. Um, I'm looking at it into the future, actually. Um, I'm very interested in oregano or just other kind of herbs like that that'll have a pest deterrence property. Um, I think you use a clover blend, if I'm not mistaken, like a four clover blend, or you have in the past. I think I've seen in your videos. Um, I've kind of been interested by that. I've always just been fascinated with just the look of that kind of living soil. Just I love the look of a bed, like a four by four living soil bed with the moss and just the cover crops. And it looks like just some soil floors, like forest floor inside of a tent. So uh, one day I plan to use cover crops. Right now I'm not, but it is in the future for me. And that's for several reasons. Uh, nitrogen fixation, um, chop and drop, just look kind of all sorts of reasons but is in the future yeah i use the white dutch clover actually came across some negative impacts that white dutch clover can have which is uh, one of the main things is thrips actually feed off of white dutch clover so i think i'm just going to use up the rest of it what i have and then just stop using it because i don't want thrips <laughs> no definitely not how about mulch layers do you use those at all when growing organically um i've tried a bit of a mulch layer um using worm com or not worm compost uh, mushroom compost um, just like a two inch layer, just mainly to help try to keep that soil uh, moist and just kind of give darkness. I don't have a lot of knowledge in mulching or mulch layers, but I've done it a little bit, but I don't really have a lot to speak on it. But it was just about a two inch layer of mushroom compost. I had good results doing it. Um, I can't say for sure, though, that it negatively or positively impacted it. I do feel I had to water a bit less, though, um, which was definitely a plus. So how about worms? Do you use those at all? Worms? Uh, again, no. Um, I feel like everything's just a no, no, no for me here. Uh, in the future, I plan to. Um, I definitely want to get into worm composting, get my own worm compost bin. Um, the main reason I'm not right now um, for worm compost is just my house. It's uh, in the country. It's a very old house. Um, I don't have like pest issues, but there very easily could be pest issues. So I'm just kind of staying away from that. Just I feel like that's an easy way to invite problems. Um, I think my house is like naturally loaded with mites, um, the kind that'll eat uh, rotting wood as well as living plants. I think the uh, rod mites, maybe the little orange ones that look just like spider mites. I don't know. But I, I try to stay away from anything uh, too bug related at the moment. Um, I had a bad run in my very first grow ever with spider mites. Um, it was a clone I'd got. So I don't know if they came from the clone or from my house, but uh, that just left a very bad taste in my mouth. So if it's a bug, I try to stay away from it. But uh, getting into organic, it's not the way of thinking at all. It's kind of backwards. Um, organic is life and diversity. So like I said, in the future, I plan to. But at this point in time, I can't really say anything on that, no. I'm actually kind of glad you're saying no, no, no to cover crops, mulch layers, and worms because that just goes to show that you can do organics without that stuff. I think a lot of new folks are intimidated. Like, I don't want to deal with the worms or cover crops. I don't really know about that. So I'm just not going to do organics. They think it's a requirement, but really it's not. You don't have to, right? It's beneficial. I feel like that's like kind of the next level, right? You start off maybe top dressing organic inputs, then maybe you're planting in some cover crops, then maybe you're doing a mulch layer, then maybe you're adding in worms. It's different stages, I guess you could say. But uh, it's certainly not a requirement to do those things when growing organically. 
man. Uh, that's actually super awesome. I'm very happy to hear you say that because I actually have the same thoughts. Um, I feel like I've been getting pretty good results with not a lot of experience, not a big budget, not a lot going into it, and a lot of new people. Man, I, I'm on THC Farmer a lot, the forum, and I saw some guy posted a thread, hey, this is how you do your first grow, and it was like a freaking novel, 10 paragraphs of go out, buy this, that, and this, do this, that, and this, and I'm like, dude, I don't plan to ever buy half of that in my entire life, and I don't want that to discourage a lot of new growers. I want someone like me to kind of not get seen, but just kind of spread that you can get results with nothing, not nothing, but I mean, it doesn't take all of this extra inputs like you're saying to make it happen. You know, it definitely helps and I definitely be doing better with it, but I'm getting by just fine and a lot of people can be too. So for sure, man, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. How about microbes? A lot of people use microbial inoculants, you know, whether it be like Mammoth P or Recharge, or there's so many micro products out there. Do you use those at all? Uh, favorite word? No. Uh, microbes, <laughs> I, I wish I could, dude. I really do. I was actually in my grocery store yesterday asking about Recharge, and they looked it up. Real Growers Recharge, 80 bucks. You know? And I was like, uh, see you later. Wish I could. But uh, so I'm not doing that. What I am doing, though, is I'm making some compost teas to try to inoculate with some microbial life. However, my compost teas are maybe poison <laughs> because I don't have a pump, I don't have air stones. It's literally a 24 hour process of annoyance for me. Um, I'm stirring that thing every 30 minutes, except for when I fall asleep, it might go two, three, four hours. But I'm, I'm doing the, uh, like a whirlpool, whirlpool method I learned where you just stir the crap out of it and you get like a vortex going to the bottom which in theory is sucking oxygen into that water, into that mixture. And um, hopefully I've been creating some microbial inoculants in that form, or uh, maybe I've just been killing my plants slowly. I don't know, but I don't have been purchasing any inoculant products, but I've been trying my best at doing it um, from scratch. Well, the compost teas you mentioned can certainly be beneficial as a microbial inoculant. And some can argue that it's more beneficial than using a microbial inoculant because microbial inoculants are so limited to the amount of diver diversity that's included in those bottles, right? Not saying that it's bad and that you shouldn't use them, but uh, you can certainly get more diverse set of microbes coming from compost or even going into your backyard and doing the IMO process, talking about natural farming being able to get those indigenous microorganisms and then bring them into your garden. You could get a lot more diversity that way. So, so yeah, that, that's cool to hear that you're experimenting with the teas and trying to boost up your diversity there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So problems, everybody comes across problems, right? What problems have you come across when switching over to organic? Um, Definitely watering. Uh, at first, watering gave me a run for my money. Um, between underwatering and just letting it dry out too much and seeing issues there. And then on the flip side, overwatering, um, just kind of keeping it muddy, which I actually haven't had nearly as much issue as I thought I would with overwatering, but I think I probably still have done it. Um, I mentioned I'd, I've done a one gallon organic and that was, dude, that was just a run of problems. Like that whole grow was a problem for three plants. One did okay, smallest of the three. Two was like, eh, and one was like, I don't even want to say it was my plant. It was like a walking problem. I mean, I do. I love the plant. Yeah, uh, in the one gallon, the biggest problems was just uh, lack of soil, uh, lack of battery, I guess, going back to that battery. Um, it's very easy to eat through nutrition. Um, 
a big thing I've learned lately is the law of return. You know, you're constantly taking from the soil, the plant's taking from the soil, we're taking from the plant. And in this little one gallon, there's not a lot being put back into it. I've been top dressing into it and feeding into it, but just the amount that that plant's taken just threw it off and just, just lack of nutrients is a huge problem in that regard. But, uh, when you're growing in an actual pot that's capable of handling this battery and it's capable of charging up this plant, really not a lot of problems I've had. Um, springtails had a big old springtail thing, but I don't really, I didn't actually see it as a problem. You know, at first it alarmed me. I was like, Oh my God, you know, soul's crawling, but I kind of, I've heard about them before I'd known about them. So I wasn't really worried. I know that they'll break down organic matter and actually turn into nutrients, I think for the plant. So they could actually be beneficial, but I mean, still that's just bugs. So still kind of went on my problem list, but, um, it's really all I can think so far for problems. I mean, have you had any underfeeding issues, like seeing any deficiencies or anything or seeing like lower yield? A lot of people say, once you switch over organics, you'll initially see a lower yield compared to synthetics. Are you, have you seen that at all? Um, as far as deficiencies and underfeeding, yes. Um, but that was usually with uh, the smaller pots and transplanting. That was just towards the end of a, like a two or a four week cycle. Um, so I tried to stay, like I was saying with these cycles above that. So I don't see that, but I did run into that. Um, still trying to get it down with the dry amendments. I know, um, it takes several weeks to actually be broken down. So I'm trying to get that timing down. And usually if I am seeing deficiencies, it's like a magnesium or a calcium. I'm seeing rust spots or just the yellowing with the intervenial chlorosis and just the crumbling dry edges. Um, not too much though. As far as yield goes, um, Okay. So technical difficulties. Once again, I apologize. I think that's a sign that we need to wrap things up. <laughs> it has been, uh, it's been almost an hour anyways, and we've gotten through just about everything I wanted to. So tell us how can the listeners find you and what do you have upcoming in the future? Um, if anyone wants to find me, I'm on Instagram. It's a lockbox grows all one word, uh, pretty easy to find profile pictures, me holding two plants just like that. You can't miss it. Um, if you're on THC farmer and find me as lockbox, um, I don't guess a lot of people probably are though, but, uh, in the future, man, um, actually I turned 25 tomorrow in Oklahoma. You gotta be 25 to get a commercial grower license. I'm not saying that's what I'm going to do, but that door is opening up for me. It's a possibility. Um, whole lot of growing, whole lot of plants and just loving doing it, man. That's what I got coming in the future. Sweet. Well, I'll definitely have a link to your Instagram down in the YouTube description section below. If you enjoyed this episode, click that thumbs up button. Also, subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. Every single weekend, I'm releasing a new Garden Talk podcast episode, and I'd love for you to tune into future episodes. Also, love to know your methods of growing, whether you grow synthetic, how do you do it, was it different than what Travis has said here, and organic. There are so many different ways to go about it. How do you grow? With what inputs do you grow with? Do you do watering the same or do you do it differently? So on and so forth. Love to hear that down in the comments section below. Travis, Lockbox, thanks so much for coming on. Despite the technical difficulties we had, uh, I still think it was a valuable conversation. Got to learn more about you, how you do things. And uh, yeah, appreciate you coming on the podcast today. Peace out, everyone. Catch you in the next episode.